HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program is brought to you by the Dairy Farm Families of Wisconsin, the Wisconsin Milk Marketing Board. Did you know that today Wisconsin produces more than 600 varieties, types, and styles of American, international style, and original cheese that win more awards than any other state or country? To learn more, visit eatwisconsincheese.com. This is Michael Harlan Turkel, host of The Food Scene. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Yes, indeed, folks. It's that time of the week and it's that time of the day. Fortunately, it's no longer that time of the month for me because I am old. Um, so introducing today my favorite new thing. Um, I have to give a tip of the hat to uh, Deborah Beagle from formerly of WBAI for helping me come up with this idea. And I hope someday she will collaborate with me. But I'm going to introduce a new feature today. It's called Oh, My Aches and Pains. And every week you're going to hear me talk about what my weekly aches and pains are because, oh, Lordy, they are legion. So um, this week, uh, we have a few food aches and pains, but don't expect it all to be food. I'll be talking about politics. I'll be talking about, you know, even personal problems, maybe, um, but probably not. Um, <laughs> but today's aches and pains, uh, I thought were really quite uh, remarkable. Um, it turns out that <clears throat> as there are laws prohibiting minors from legally purchasing alcoholic beverages, many teens are finding creative new ways to get a buzz on. So right here in the U.S. of A., since 2010, U.S. Poison Control Centers have seen a nearly fourfold increase in calls related to minors ingesting hand sanitizer as a way to drink, get drunk. And according to Vice, this may be an even bigger problem in Sweden, where you would expect them to have a lot more sense. Anyway, talk about a hangover. That's a real pain. My next pain... And pains should be separated from aches. Pains are minor irritations. Aches are full-on aches. And I think we all know what that means. Uh, this one really kind of made my day. Uh, I'm not sure what bakwa is, actually, but it's a Singaporean dish uh, that is normally produced from raw pork sourced from countries such as Australia, Brazil, and Spain. Um, but some of that pork is also sourced from China, and we know what that can mean. In fact, I know more than anyone probably does know about what that can mean because I've been researching Chinese food safety um, for one of the chapters in my forthcoming <clears throat> 
book. And um, what I have learned is that the Chinese will substitute just about anything for anything without the slightest compunction, although that is changing. In any case, they have discovered in Singapore that the majority of their bakwa has been actually produced not with raw pork, but with rat, fox, and mink meat. Now that is a pain. I really don't want to eat bakwa that's made out of rat, fox, or mink. And then finally, we're going to close with my ache, my true heartache for the week. And this really is a heartache. Um, I visited Vietnam a couple of years ago, and it was just such an incredible place and such a beautiful country. And the people are so terrific. And I was really, and I, and I, I did see a lot of fast food action there, especially strangely enough, yum brands um, has penetrated Asia with KFC, Kentucky fried chicken. Although they often call it Kennedy fried chicken there instead of Kentucky. Uh, I guess Colonel Sanders didn't play. I don't know. But anyway, they have, um, you know, quite a bit of fried chicken, but they have also introduced um, McDonald's. And so um, there is now uh, a large franchisee there named Henry Nguyen. He is the managing director of Good Day Hospitality, and he owns and operates uh, the franchise for McDonald's in Vietnam. And he is planning on building 100 more outlets across the country in the next 10 years. Um, and uh, they now have just opened their eighth. Um, so that's that's a lot of new McDonald's. That's a lot more meat in a diet that is not normally meat-centered. And that's just not a good thing for anyone. So that is a major heartache. And with that, my friends, these are this week's aches and pains. I think we'll jump to a quick commercial break, and then we will uh, chat with my my new best friend, Leah Garces, uh, who is the director of Compassion in World Farming in the United States. It's an international organization. And we're going to talk about uh, the major progress um, Compassion in World Farming has made, as well as other groups, in moving industrial uh, food away from uh, battery cages for laying eggs. Quite a, quite, quite a success story, so stay tuned, and we'll be right back with Leah Garces. Today's program is brought to you by the Dairy Farm Families of Wisconsin, the Wisconsin Milk Marketing Board. Did you know that today Wisconsin produces more than 600 varieties, types, and styles of American, international style, and original cheese that win more awards than any other state or country? To learn more, visit eatwisconsincheese.com. All right. This is, once again, What Doesn't Kill You. Did I even say that at the top of the show, Jack? I can't even remember. Another evidence of my encroaching senility as I approach uh, a major milestone in my life in terms of birthdays. And don't let anyone ever tell you that this is not a major milestone when you turn for 60 years old. It sucks. That's a fact. It sucks. I hate it. I'm furious. And I am not going down without a fight. Anyway, here is, (laughs) this is what doesn't kill you, Food Industry Insights. I am your host, Katie Kiefer, soon to turn 60 years old. And on the phone with me today is the Wonderful, Leah Gar says. Um, Leah has worked to advance higher welfare for farm animals for well over a decade, and she has authored and edited several very comprehensive reports and books on animals and agriculture. Um, one of the projects that she worked on that I was so admiring of uh, was uh, Livestock's Long Shadow, which came out of the UN, the Food and Agricultural Organization. It's definitely worth a read. It's really um, a very compelling piece of information. Um, she is a strong proponent of collaboration, and she recently launched the multi 
stakeholder Georgians, that's Georgia, as in Atlanta, Georgia, for pastured poultry. She is responsible for compassion and world farming's activities in the United States, heading the political and awareness campaigns. She is also a Global Animal Partnership Board of Directors member. Global Animal Partnership, for those of you who aren't familiar, is uh, a rating system that is used by Whole Foods and other uh, large retail organizations to um, alert customers uh, to, first of all, to identify the kinds of products that they want to buy and then to alert customers to the type of animal welfare that they represent. Um, So welcome to the program, Leah. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you, Katie. I'm glad to be back. Oh, it's so much fun. And we had such a nice (laughs) time in Atlanta. I really Uh, enjoyed our little chit-chat there. But um, I think we should probably start off the show by just telling people a little bit about Compassion and World Farming, you know, what you guys are working on right now besides your battery cage uh, efforts um, and a few other things. So let's start with what is Compassion and World Farming, because I think maybe it's not quite as well known as it should be. Yeah. Um, well, Compassion and World Farming um, was started in the U.K. in the 60s by a dairy farmer who decided he didn't like how the industry was going and he wanted to do something about it. So uh, Peter Roberts was his name, and he and his wife, Anna, started basically leafleting and creating things in their kitchen, and it grew and grew and grew until it is the organization it is today, which has about 100 staff globally, um, a lot in Europe. We have a representation in China and South wow. Africa um, and in the U.S. And globally, our efforts, our job, our mission is to end factory farming. And that's because we believe um, that farm animals should be treated with respect and compassion. And we're trying to create a world in which they, they can have that. And that's I love that. It's a beautiful. It's a beautiful mission. So, what what campaigns are you waging right now? You, we we touch briefly on the battery cage, um, but I know there's other stuff going on. There's many things in your well, in your right? I mean, globally, you can imagine there mm-hmm. are diverse issues to work on. So, in Europe, for example. Um, we have a campaign, uh, uh, which is End the Cage Age, and um, we're not only, you know, working to end cages throughout Europe for hens, but for rabbits, because as it turns out, rabbits is um, the second largest number of animals are factory farmed uh, for rabbit meat in the EU. After, um, and so, you know, it's a, it's a big it's a big effort there in Europe to get rid of uh, battery cages for rabbits. Uh, that's mm-hmm. primarily how they're kept. Um, you know, in China, we're working to improve conditions in which um, pigs are kept. Yeah. Um, and here, here in the United States, we are the biggest producer of chickens in terms of the chicken that ends up on your plate as opposed to the eggs, the so right. broilers. Um, and we are working to improve the way that those animals are treated as well. And that's on top of, you know, a pretty... Um, a, a pretty focused effort right now to just totally drive cages out of the U.S. market for laying hens. Right, right. Um, so how do you how do you give us an idea of how you engage with the companies that you're because you, you recently announced, for example, I mean, the catalyst for this interview was the fact that um, you had uh, persuaded Target uh, to phase out uh, buying eggs from uh, battery cage layers. Um, by 2025, how, how did you engage with Target and, and you know, propose and then, um, you know, convince them that that's the right way to go? Right. Well, I think, you know, it is certainly a movement-wide effort. And so, um, you know, throughout the United States, there are groups working on this. And, you know, 
from all ends of the spectrum. And um, I think if, if we were to kind of take a moment to step back in time, I think it all started with McDonald's, as many things do. Uh-huh. Um, and <laughs> <true>. um, <laughs> if I could say that. Um, no, so, you know, I, I think that before um, this time last year, um, really it felt like the whole market had stagnated and everyone was waiting to see what McDonald's would do in terms of um, their eggs and their egg supply. They had commissioned a study that was three years long and the study was largely looking to compare uh, what are called enriched cages, which mm-hmm. are cages with like, you know, a little bit more space and maybe a perch and a scratching post for these scratching um, areas for the hens. Mm-hmm. It was comparing those enriched cages to battery cages, which are barren cages, to aviary systems. The study came out. We felt it was really flawed, and we told McDonald's that. We secured a meeting with them along with others. Um, and really, it came down to what would consumers accept and not accept. And it became pretty clear that consumers were becoming more educated about cages and they didn't want them anymore. And McDonald's heard that. To their credit, they heard that. Mm-hmm. And it was in September last year that McDonald's made the announcement and said that they were going to go cage-free. It would take them 10 years to shift the supply chain. And really, that was probably the most exciting moment for me because oh. that set the path. We, I knew when they told us that, that was going to set the pathway for the next 10 years for the entire industry. And very, very predictably, we've seen a domino effect. And it started with the fast food service area. So we saw you know, Wendy's and Burger King and Taco Bell and all the major fast food companies like fall like dominoes right wow. after McDonald's made the announcement. So we've had, you know, most of all of the major fast food companies, the um, food service companies have all committed to going cage-free. And some with very short timelines, like Taco Bell is going to do that by the end of this year. Wow. Uh, Panera will do it within five years. So it's shifting quickly. Um, and, you know, following on from that, um, we were, by the end of last year, shifting our energies towards supermarkets. So that's about when I ran into you, and I said, mm-hmm. and I think on the day that I saw you was the day that Target made its announcement that they were going cage-free. Mm-hmm. Um, and so since then, we've seen a lot of major supermarkets make an announcement, um, and, and even just last week, we saw the first, second, and sixth largest supermarkets announced they were going cage-free. Wow, so uh, which so that ones were those? Kroger, Safeway, and Del Hayes, who owns Food Lion at Hannaford. Amazing. That is just incredible. And this is all because you had a meeting with McDonald's and made this, you know, obvious point that consumers would prefer animals to be raised in a more humane method, and that encouraged... That was so compelling to these supermarket chains that they were able to recognize that they needed to follow suit in order to stay current? Is that basically think what it, you're saying? I what think happened? inevitably um, McDonald's recognized that consumers would never accept cages. And mm-hmm. therefore, that model would not have a future. It was a risk that would always be posed to that business and its future. Right, right. And of course, McDonald's has been losing market share over the last few years. So yeah. um, I can see that they would be um, very anxious to do whatever they can to differentiate themselves, especially from other fast food chains that maybe right. are not following suit so quickly. Right. Um, let me ask you this, though. I mean, it's it, you, you point out that uh, it's going to take until 2025 for Target to phase out battery cages. Um, I, I know the answer to this, but um, I think you should explain to people why it takes so long for uh, yeah. for a, gal- a goal like this to be realized? 
Well, first of all, we're going to do everything we can to make sure it gets realized sooner. And I think it may be realized sooner Mm -hmm. because of how quickly the commitments are being made and some of the producers now. So we've had the largest producers in the country uh, agree to go cage-free as well. So JBS, for example, JBS, um, you know, is making a shift. Uh, Rembrandt, um, um, Michael's Egg, they're all making shifts in the right direction where they are leaving behind cages and crates uh, because, you know, and they're leaving it behind faster than they thought that they would. And so mm-hmm. with them increasing the volume of alternatives, and I'm talking about both, you know, cages uh, for hens and crates for, for, for station crates for pigs, mm-hmm. um, with them moving them faster, that means there's going to be more availability for those, for those companies. Um, mm-hmm to possibly fill their shelves and their menus faster. So our ultimate goal is definitely to shift them along faster than those 10 years. So we'll do everything we can. So, that, you know, just because I made an announcement doesn't mean we're leaving them behind. But, <laughs> you know, um, I think that we also have to realize that there's um, – this is economics. And what's happening here is companies are, are – are they're, they're trying to ensure their sustainability um, of, of the market. There's supply that's left – um, and so you have to build that supply. You have to keep farmers with you. So some of these companies are really working with their farmers to ensure that they, um, you know, can continue to be in business, can can uh, model their way out of getting rid of cages and shifting into the new way of farming. And so that's, you know, that we're talking about, um, you know, a huge, huge part of the market that needs to shift. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's it's big money is what we're talking about because, I mean, phasing out these cages, which cost a lot of money to start with, and then getting rid of them and installing new equipment and having to retrain possibly um, your, you know, your field hands on how to manage the birds within an aviary system or an enriched cage versus a battery cage. And battery cages, we should remind people, there's, I think it's 17 square inches of space per bird. Is that yeah. right? Mm-hmm. And there's yeah. no, there's no, there's no place for them to, to take a, a dust bath or a sand bath. They can't, they can't peck. There's no, um, you know, none of their natural behaviors are allowed to be expressed. And that's why battery cages are so unpopular with uh, people who think about, um, you know, people like you and your organization. Yeah. Who think I mean, about they the can't exhibit animals. even basic, you know, they can't flap their wings. natural behaviors they're driven to do. They can't lay their egg in a, in a nest, which is mm-hmm. a basic thing that hens are driven to do. They can't turn around easily. They can't, you know, they can't flap their wings. They're, they're not able to move around freely. They can't pack, they can't dust bathe. These are things that they are genetically driven. They want to do, and they yeah. can't do those things. Right, right. Um, when we were at the um, International uh, Production and Processing Expo in Atlanta, Georgia, your hometown, uh-huh. Yeah. Um, you and I, that's where we, we met. And um, I, you know, after you and I parted, I went down to the, um, to, I think you had even directed me. Oh, no, I was going to talk to the, uh, to the egg genetics people. And that was a whole, mm-hmm. that was a fascinating story, which only just ended uh, on Friday when I had a 45 minute long chat with um, one of the top broiler geneticists at Cobb mm-hmm. Van Tress. They had totally, remember I had that date? I was supposed to go mm-hmm. back and talk. 
Oh, no. I got down to that booth and they were like, no, 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 no. They literally dragged that scientist away from me. And then I go, I, I'm not kidding you. It was really incredible. And then uh, these two marketing guys like surrounded me and said, well, you'll have to like write your questions down and you'll have to do this and you'll have to do that. And, you know, we'll tell you when we're going to give it in touch. And I walked away thinking, OK, that's it. They're not going to do it. Um, so it was amazing to me that, you know, a month and a half later, they finally did like follow up and they created a Skype phone call with me and they had this guy on who was very, (laughs) you know, he was like the quintessential scientist, you know, cold as ice and like no sense of humor whatsoever. I don't know if that's ubiquitous to scientists, but still it was like, to me, it was like a cartoon character. Um, But we did have a very interesting and I must say very informative talk about uh, Cobb Vantress and and just the whole business of of genetics, which most people don't think about. Um, But it certainly rolls right into what you're doing because you're talking, when you talk about broilers, you talk about animals that can't stand up um, because their breast meat is so heavy, and that's definitely a genetics issue, right? Absolutely. I mean, the you know the growth rate is phenomenal of the of the present day broiler chickens, the yeah. chickens that is that you know that we eat, right. and that is the fundamental underlying issue. And, and what is a side effect, a, a kind of unintended consequence of this fast growth rate, is two things. One is a bird that has muscular skeletal problems. Right. Basically, they're genetically lame. They're so yeah. big that they are, they have difficulty walking. It's like an, you know, a morbidly obese person. Yeah. And the second thing is they're, they're having immune function issues, which is a new thing that's, that's beginning to be emerge in some of the scientific literature, that you know, they are immunosuppressed, and they mm-hmm. get sick easily. They are not robust as birds. And, and you combine that with the fact that we're starting to take antibiotics out of our... Our, our chicken houses, it is a disaster waiting to happen. Well, Plus, they, they the have an answer. suffering immensely. Yes, they do. Um, but they have an answer for that, Leah, and we're going to get to that. But I wanted to just go back for a second because, of course, I got off on a tangent, as I always do. <laughs> but while we were at IPPE, so you and I had had this conversation. I went down to that part of the, at, you know, of the, of the show floor, and I happened upon um, a, a company that sells, manufactures battery cages. Mm. So I can't remember who they were now, but so I said to them, what are you guys doing for the future? Like, how are you changing up your business? How are you going to, you know, manage, um, you know, the coming era when battery cages have been phased out? And they literally laughed in my face. I mean, Leah, they were like, what? What are you talking about? I said, well, when McDonald's announces that they're going cage free, doesn't that give you pause for thought? They're like, "Ah, who cares? They're like 2% of the population of people who use our eggs. We don't care. Everybody else is still buying battery cages. And I just walked away like, oh, my God, that is incredible. But to be honest, like what? I mean, if McDonald's is only 2% of the market, and I'm pretty sure that's what they said, um, you know, like how much, what percentage of hens are we really talking about in terms of, you know, the success rate, like when Target and Kroger and all of these people get together, how how much do you think that that aggregates in terms of animals that are going to, in fact, um, benefit from a new paradigm in chicken in laying hens? Well, um, I can tell you in what, Ag, which it might be uh, not a journal that everybody reads, but um, oh, I love know, that they journal. Are, they are regular. They are reporting that the U.S. egg-free egg layer flock is really is very rapidly increasing. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, from from the fall of last year to the fall of the previous year, there's been 
um, a 37% increase, um, wow. more or less. And so it's rapidly, rapidly increasing. Um, and it, and you can see why. When you have, so, you know, some people would say, oh, McDonald's, it's 4% of the market only. So what's the big deal? Right. Right. So you have 4% of the market now is committing, is saying, telling, is giving, putting a megaphone out in the, in the market and saying, we're only going to buy cage-free eggs in 10 years, so you better start shifting. But that's not the only part that's important. So what we saw last week, for example, is we saw Kroger and all of its, ba- all of its banner brands go commit to make the same commitment to the same year. Now, Kroger has about, with all of its banner brands, 12% of the market. Wow. So, and if you combine that with, let's say, also Del Hayes and all of its mm-hmm. banner brands last week and... Um, Alberson Safeway, they made the same commitment. I mean, we're already looking with those three brands at, you know, at least a quarter of the market, of the entire market with those three brands, with McDonald's, with Kroger, uh, sorry, four brands, Del Hayes and uh-huh. Safeway, it, you know, possibly more because they don't all disclose the number of eggs. So we're estimating here. So, right. you know, if I <clears throat> underestimate, it's a quarter of the market with just those brands. And then there's all the other ones. So you can you can kind of brush off one one um, one commitment and say that's not shifting. But right. if you brush off all of these commitments, that's just a recipe for you going bankrupt. And that's what's going to happen to those 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 companies yeah. um, that, like you met, they are going to go bankrupt. They are going they are going to be part of the path. And if they don't get on board with uh, cage free. You know, they're 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 out. Yeah, their product. I mean, even though I, I don't think the Chinese have anything like the same worries about um, compassion towards laying hands, and they are huge huge poultry producers, as are the Indians. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, I, I thought the guy, I thought they were incredibly cavalier. I, I, it was kind of funny to me. I mean, I was like, really, you're not worried. <laughs> Right. I mean, yeah, they just I mean, literally blew just me like off. They're ostriches with their heads in the sand. I mean, exactly. the writing is on the wall. And isn't Cages that, are out. Isn't out. that so, I mean, that, that attitude that they express to me is like, it's kind of endemic across the board in the meat industry. I mean, they have been so slow to embrace any kind of change in the way they do business that it's, you know, it's a miracle that they aren't doing a lot worse than they are. And so I, for instance, to just stay on uh, being at the expo, I was stunned at how casually the Chinese booths were marketing antibiotics um, for animals, including those that are banned even in the United States, like the cephalosporins. I mean, they don't seem to have any worries. Um, Their companies are busily pushing these antibiotics um, in a way that would suggest that they have never yet heard of antibiotic resistance, even though it's a factor in their own countries. And I, I found that very curious. Yeah, I mean, as, a, as an example, I don't know if you know that the company um, getting back you know, to putting ostriches to the head in the sand. Um, mm-hmm. So JS J. West it was the first egg producer um, company in the United States to install colony cages or these enriched cages. Uh-huh. Um, and they, after after they made a transition, so they've already invested in enriched cages. They are now making a plan to get out of enriched cages and go cage free completely. Wow. So, you know, even the, the, one of the first companies to really, you know, invest and say, we're doing it, now they're saying, there's no future. It's over. Right. Wow. That is so interesting. What, what else struck you, by the way, at that expo? 
Because <clears throat> I know you mentioned that you were you were sort of amazed at how much like the national the North American Meat Institute was pushing to get antibiotics out of the feed chain and stuff like that. What, what were the other big developments that you saw um, on that show floor? Because it, it was it was quite an eye opener that thing. Yeah, I mean, like I, I think I, four years ago, I was seeing enriched cages all over the floor mm-hmm. and and seeing that being um, propagated as the future, and they were just not there, and there was not that right. that discussion happening. Um, I thought it was really interesting. There was uh, like a lot of probiotics being promoted, yes. um, you know, and alternatives to antibiotics being promoted. Yeah, uh, as like you know, antibiotics are on their way out. We have to do something. We're gonna ignore the fact that you know there's condition there's problems with the genetics and there's problems with the conditions and yeah, instead right. we're just gonna think about probiotics or something else we can you know stuff the chickens with to avoid the real problem which are genetics and living conditions right right um so when you when you walked around the floor did you feel like um you know your campaign or and other animal welfare groups were having a a positive impact on sort of the industry i mean you just mentioned that they're going from enriched to aviary systems um and that's probably undoubtedly due to the sort of you know consumer awareness that you and other groups uh develop um were you were you pleased and proud or were you depressed and disconsolate at where the meat industry is headed Oh no! I'm really, I'm really proud of the progress. It's tangible. You can see it on, you know, the expo floor of the industry. Where, like I said, four years ago, it was antibiotics and cages, and now it's probiotics. And you know, how are we going to deal with uh, a no cage future? We're winning. Absolutely, we're winning. Isn't that so fantastic? I mean, really. It's great. <laughs> it's, it's, it really is. It's so encouraging. Oh, I have goosebumps. I'm so excited. Um, mm-hmm. You guys have worked a lot on um, shifting other practices around uh, poultry production. Um, I wanted you, because I'm not sure everybody uh, still remembers um, or even saw, you know, the that Craig Watts film that you produced. Um, so tell sure. us a little bit about the Better Chicken Initiative, because uh, that was yeah. very, very powerful. Right. Um, well, uh, I... Um, my organization partnered with a uh, Purdue contract grower. Purdue is the third largest chicken company in the United States. Um, and they largely grow their chickens like everybody else does. So there's 30,000 chickens stuffed in a shed. Um, it's like a sea of birds. Mm-hmm. Um, they have issues like lameness. They're sitting on litter all the time, which creates irritation on their bellies, feather loss. Mm-hmm. Um, they have infections. They're sick. Um, they're, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a standard practice throughout the industry. The difference was at that stage, Purdue was calling this humane and cage-free. And they were putting that on their label, and people were being duped into thinking this was better than everybody else, when actually uh, just like everybody else. Right. And um, we had a unique opportunity where a contract grower said, enough is enough. Um, I don't. I'm. I am the farmer of these birds, but I am not happy that the American public are being duped. He worked with us. We brought a camera in. We filmed it. We exposed it, and it was in the New York Times um, in one day, 24 hours. We had wow. half a million views in our on our in our wow. video. It went viral. We were on, you know, John Oliver, the Dr. Oz. The, it was everywhere, and yeah. You know, it was it really woke up, I think, the American public to the realities of how our America's favorite meat, chicken, is really being produced. Yeah. Yeah. It was it was an extraordinary experience. And so what has happened since then to Craig Watts? Is he still a contract grower for Purdue? 
he is not. He has um, very recently he has given up uh, growing chickens, and he is looking at alternatives, um, and not alternatives in livestock. He's looking at other options um, as a farmer, possibly vegetables and fruit, um, trying to look at you know how he can. Um, transition. And I mean, what we'd like to do is think through ways in which what he did can be replicated for others, because there are so many farmers in his situation yeah. who are very unhappy. And you know, 71% of, of contract growers, poultry contract growers who, who, who raise chickens solely as a living are living below the poverty line. And collectively, contract growers uh, for poultry in the United States Oh, $5 billion. Oh it's unbelievable. They're in such debt and such despair, and they have no control over their contracts. They can't give the birds, you know, natural light or give them more space. or You know, they have no control over the birds, the genetics, right. and the health of those birds that they receive. And they're very unhappy, and many of them want to get out. I think there's a very long line of farmers who want out, and, and we need to try to provide that. And Craig's trying to think of a modeling something that other farmers can follow. Well, doesn't Craig have the same issues in terms of debt? I mean, he's got the big chicken houses, which really, you know, <clears throat> don't really work for anything but growing poultry. Um, you can do it better for sure. You can let them out. You can give them natural light. I mean, why wouldn't he do that and then try to find a distributor for that, for that product? Well, yeah, I think, so we did try to find, we did uh, initially think through ways, could he do, um, you know, a, a higher welfare uh, chicken production? Could yeah. he do, like, free range, and we were going to transition his houses? Um, however, there is no distribution around it. There are no slaughterhouses. All of the small right. slaughterhouses, you know, have been shut down, and there are only a few, and they're owned by Purdue, Tyson, Pilgrim, yep. and you have to be contracted by them to access those, those slaughterhouses. Exactly. Uh, so, you know, our food distribution system today is really monopolized by those big companies. And so rather than try to tap into that, I think he also thought, I'm done with, you know, chickens. Like, I don't, <laughs> these are sentient beings, and I, I'm done. I'm done with messing with their lives. Right. And I think he wants to move on to something different now. Well, I, you know, I wish him the best of luck. It's a really tough trap to get out of. Um, and that, that contracting model is being exported around the world, as I am learning from writing my fabulous book. And, yeah. uh, you know, it's just like, I cannot, uh, you know, I don't know how, to, uh, it's a juggernaut that's all I, I feel is almost impossible to stop. But I, when I think about somebody like Craig Watts, I also think about the guy that I sat next to at the Nyman Ranch, um, you know, farmer appreciation dinner. And the reason he went to Nyman Ranch, he was a regular contract, you know, pig farmer. And just like Craig Watts, it was like he couldn't stand the way his pigs were being treated. He literally feels like the pigs are somehow connected to him. I mean, he was very funny about it. Yeah. Um, but he loves his pigs, and he's yeah. a farmer. And he said, I, I said, so why did you start working with Nyman? And he said, because I, I, I couldn't treat my pigs like that. I just couldn't right. do it. You know, I grew right. up in the pig farm. His, it was his dad's farm, so they, like, got into the contract growing as contract growing began, came to overtake the pork industry as it has since, what, I, I don't know, the, really the two, late 90s. And uh, he said, I, I just could, I couldn't handle it. It was just disgusting to me. I couldn't do yeah. it. So, and I think tapping into that's really, really important. Mm -hmm. And I think there are so many dissatisfied, unhappy farmers. They went into it. You know, because they love the land, they love, uh, you know, using their hands, they want to work with animals, and yeah. then they get trapped in what is essentially a cruel, inhumane, and, and debt-ridden system. Yeah. And it's an awful existence for them. But 
companies should wake up to that fact because in this day and age, everybody has an iPhone. Everybody and anybody can upload anything on YouTube. Yeah. And I don't think it's very long before dissatisfied farmers are saying, look at what's happening inside my farm and I can't control it. Right. And this is what you're buying in the supermarket. That's a big risk that companies need to pay attention to. And they're not. And you know, I, I think it's only a matter of time before that explodes. Uh, yeah, I, I would not be surprised in the slightest, although I'm sure that there are many uh, non-disclosure agreements that are part of your contract and all that kind of stuff, too. Right. I mean, with all the ag gag laws that have come into, you know, being in various states, which you and I will talk about on another show. But, um, yeah, I, I know, think I'm, that's true for non. For, but well, what about the farmers? What if the farmers turn on a company and. You know, they, they own their land. They don't own the animals, but they own their land. They yeah. own the houses. There's nothing stopping them from taking cameras inside of their houses. You no. know, that is that is their property. That's yeah. not aggable, you know. So I, I think know. that's an interesting, interesting development that I think we'll see emerge in the next few months. I really hope so. I mean, I, I do wonder about the ag-gag laws for that, though, because because they don't own the animals. So, yeah, yeah, they own the premises, but they don't own the animals. So, you know, is it possible that the ag-gag laws – I mean, I'm, I'm actually going to be talking to somebody about ag-gag in a couple of weeks, and um, I will definitely remember to bring that up because I think that's a very interesting fine point of the law that hasn't really been explored. Um, I'm mm-hmm. hoping that that doesn't exist, that the companies can say, no, you, you, the farmer, cannot take a film of my birds in your house. Um, but I don't mm-hmm. know. You know, I don't know that. Um, so one of the major principles, as you say, is said earlier, is to stop marketing and verifying factory farm chicken as natural or humane. That was um, So that makes yep. sense. And then the other one was to improve the living conditions and slow down the growth rates for chickens. But when you talk yep. about improving living conditions, you mean going to an aviary system. Okay, very expensive. And then if we slow down growth rates for chickens so that it takes them longer than 40 days to arrive at their 3.5 weight... Um, they will become very expensive. How, how how do we convince people to pay for that? Chickens are cheapest meat. Yeah. Well, first of all, they're not they're not um, moving to an aviary system because broilers are never raised in cages, which is a point that not a lot of people know. Um, in the United States, they're not raised oh, in cages. True. Yes, yes. They're right. they're raised on the floor. And when you see the, that cage free on your meat chicken label, yeah. that is just that's just playing on the consumer's lack of knowledge about sure. that. That's, there's nothing special about that. That's like saying they have two legs, they have a beak. <laughs> it's just how it's done, you know. Right. We we joke about that, but it's you know it's true. It's it's yeah. just stating the obvious. Um, now the conditions that we're talking about are are going to cost more, and um, the, what we're talking about is slowing the growth down, um, and it is giving them some enrichment and natural light, so something for them to do. And that's not just important for their kind of, um, you know, for their happiness, but it's important for their leg strength and to get them up yeah. and moving and walking around so that they aren't lame as they get bigger. It's like, it's like taking a couch potato kid uh, obese couch potato kid, getting them outside, you know, playing yeah. around. It's important. Although I'm going to say something. I'm going to stop you right there because my brother-in-law grows chickens almost every year, mm-hmm. meat birds, and yeah. he gets the basic Cornish cross. He gets the white feathered bird. Yeah. And I'm going to say he raises them outside. By the time they are at maturity, they can no longer walk. Right. right. I mean, so it, whether they're the inside or outside, whether they're confined or not confined, those animals are done. First of all, they're lazy as hell. 
even when right. they're smaller. But then when they really get big, it's the walking thing is pretty much over. They can barely get in and out of the barn. And that, I mean, yep. it's just the genetics right there. It's not even yep. whether or not they have more space to walk around in. Right. And I they, think they would they, put perches in, right? Isn't that part of the enrichment system? Because, that, because chickens like to roost. They do like to roost, but you shouldn't. We wouldn't recommend that for if you don't change the breed as well, because they're so top heavy. Honestly, they'll fall over. They won't right. be able to use those perches. They'll feel imbalanced, and they have, they'd have to be able to rest their chest on something like a straw bale would be better for them to be up on. Ah. Um, but it's interesting what you say about you know those Cornish cross at the end. They still do a lot of sitting, um, and and what we've shown in, in sort of the scientific literature is you can reduce the amount of sitting that happens in the birds, but you, you'll you still have a lot of it if you don't change the breed. It'll go from, let's say, uh, you know, 70% of the time sitting, it'll having been reduced from like 82%. So now we think that the, the modern broiler chicken sits for 82% of, of the time. Right. Now, these are birds, and, and I... I have heard, and, and it is common for industry to say, actually, we've just we've bred a docile bird. This is just docility <laughs> as a side effect. It is not docility. It is lethargy. It is it is discomfort with the size of their bodies. It is like an obese child sitting on the couch. They are not content. They might look content. They are too big. That's what's yeah. wrong with them. That's why they're sitting. Birds don't sit. Look around outside. Yeah. Birds don't sit. It is not a natural behavior for a bird to sit and squat. They run. They perch. They walk. You know, they they do not spend 80% of their day squatting. That is not a natural way to be. And the only way to get to the bottom of that is to start working on those genetics. You can tinker with it. You can improve it slightly by giving them natural light and things to do and getting them up. But at the end, they're still going to be too big. Yeah. Yeah, they are. They just are. I mean, there's nothing you can, yeah, right. They have to change those genetics up. And I, you know, it's, it's hard to say, um, you know, that I've now spoken to several genetics companies and it's, it's, it's difficult to say that they would ever, that they would ever even consider that. I mean, they are so happy. They are so happy with the current state of chickens because of the massive yield of meat in the incredibly short time um, that it's, it would really take, uh, you know, an act of God, as far as I'm concerned for them to consider making it. <laughs> Making a significant yeah. change in the composition or the conformation of their uh, broiler birds. Um, let's let's move on a little bit though and talk because um, we just have a few more minutes. Um, you know, you lived in England for a long time, I know, and um, animal welfare is is a much more serious concern in the EU, or at least in some countries in the EU, England, Germany, France, um, the Scandinavian countries, and so forth. Um, they, you know, they've already phased out their battery cages to a large extent. Um, a lot of the gestation crates are going away as, as well. Um, they do a much better job on. Um, on beak trimming, I think a little known fact of industry practice that uh, mm-hmm. everybody seems to feel is perfectly okay, but can result in lifelong pain for the bird. Um, but they do a lot better job with that, and they and they don't they're not into the tail docking thing quite as much as we are. Um, wh- why why are they successful in making these practices even within the same kind of stocking density that we have, in the same kind of intensive farming that we have? What do you think is the attitude difference? Like, why can't we get American farmers to, uh, you know, invest in the same sense that animals have feelings, um, that they do feel pain, and that they grow better when they aren't messed with like this? Yeah, you know, I think if you had asked me this a year ago, I would have a really different answer than I have today. Interesting. Um, 
Because a year ago I was saying, you know, the United States 20 years behind Europe. We don't have any legislation to protect farm animals. Uh, the EU has has banned the, the Baron battery cage. They've banned gestation crates. They've banned veal crates. Those things are now illegal. However, in the last year, we have seen some phenomenal corporate changes that have actually surpassed the EU. Amazing. So the, the UK, for example, by and large, you know, they, they, a lot of the companies are still using enriched cages. It's perfectly legal and most of none of the supermarkets or hardly any of the supermarkets have um, made commitments to go cage free. Right. Um, so they still have enriched cages on their shelf. There are some better ones, and we've awarded them with our with our good egg awards, who have made those commitments, and that's wonderful. But there are still caged eggs on the shelves in in the UK. In the United States, in ten years, we will not see that. They will be gone. You know, we yeah. are we are seeing all these companies commit, and, and they're not going from. Whereas we saw in the UK, they went from caged to enriched, and then hopefully eventually to cage-free. We're skipping enriched completely. We're going from caged to, to cage-free, and there's nothing in between. We're not accepting the enriched cage, which I'm really proud of. I think that's a yeah. big, you know, consumers here are saying there's no difference between a cage and a slightly bigger cage. It's still a cage. Right, We're not right. accepting that. And so in some ways, I think consumers here have taken charge of, of the market in a way that in the UK they haven't. Uh, so you know, I think I, I think we may see us kind of loop forward. In if if we keep going in the direction we're going, I think we're going to see some advances. Unfortunately, it's not legislatively, and that's more I think an indicator of where a political system is at here in the United States. I'm so glad where, you said that. <laughs> <laughs> keep going. We could have a whole other talk about, but. Well, Legislation is hard to pass here, and it takes a lot more resources. And where companies are more flexible, they're they're sensitive to competitive issues, and they move quick. They make commitments quick. They respond to consumers in a way that you know politicians are not necessarily responding to voters. Yeah, absolutely. Well, as you saw probably from the outline, I do, I do, you know, I, I was wondering what your organization um, was doing in terms of like, or are you trying to engage with the with the with the candidates? Um, do you see any one candidate is more engaged with um, animal welfare, healthier food than others? Um, if you if you could talk to the candidates, what what would you ask for in terms of support? Uh, for your mission, what would be your top, you know, three asks uh, for, you know, how to improve animal welfare across the board in in livestock production? That is a great question. Um, I actually had a, another journalist I was uh, speaking to about exactly that. Um, and actually, today we are sending out a letter to the presidential candidates um, regarding climate change and the need for meat reduction. Um, uh, because I think, you know, when you think about what are what are the candidates going to talk about, climate change is now an issue that's on the agenda for these candidates. Um, and um, recently there was the Paris Agreement, and that was a decision that governments made and parties to that government signed. And they, they agreed that they needed to hold the increase in the global temperature to well below two degrees. Right. And what we argue is that you can't do that unless you address our food and farming issues. And you certainly can't do that unless we address our global meat and dairy consumption patterns, especially in industrialized countries. And really, we need to about half in the United States our meat and dairy and egg consumption. It's, it's, It's very serious, and we can't address climate change unless we address 
our uh, our our animal product consumption levels. Right, right, and that and that I mean, and 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 even if we do address it, actually, I mean, just to put it in a more again in the global perspective, I mean, those newly industrializing nations, China, Southeast Asia, India, um, you know, they're they're growing their meat operations, South America, growing their meat and dairy and egg operations as fast as they possibly can. So it's like, how, how do we, you know, not only lead by example, but also persuade them um, or persuade the companies that are expanding into them, because those are Western companies by and large, um, that they, that they need to address this as well. I mean, I, well, we'll talk about that in our next, in our next event, Leah, because you're going to be coming back very soon. Um, <laughs> in the meantime, we do have to wrap it up. So I want you to tell people how they can learn more about compassion and world farming and about what you're doing and your missions and, and uh, how people can get involved because that's part yes, of this program. Please, 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 please go to our website, um, which is ciwf.com. Um, we'll also be later today launching a Publix, as in Publix, the supermarket cool. um, campaign, getting them to go cage free. So they are one of the few of the top 10 supermarkets that have refused to engage on the issue and have made no signs of going cage free. And so we encourage you to take part in that petition, it will be on change.org. It will be on our website um, to encourage them to go cage-free. That's great. Thank you so much for joining me today, Leah. And thank you so much to my sponsor and, uh, as always, to my wonderful engineer, Jack Inslee. We'll see you next week. It's been a great episode of What Doesn't Kill You. And uh, let me know how you like the aches and pains. And send me your aches and pains. You can reach me on my show page on the Heritage Radio website or on Facebook under What Doesn't Kill You, Food Industry Insights with Katie Kiefer. Thanks so much for listening, folks. We'll see you next week. for listening to this program on heritageradionetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening. 